will give us a clue, Scooby-Doo. Maybe. Here's one. A hundred and one ghosts and ghouls. <laughs> Zoinks! We hit the jackpot! Once again, with your favorite dog star, King of the Wild Blue Yonder. If you don't sign the treaty, running dog, we'll take back the trinkets and beads. Bring in river, then go. You know, you ought to get this set fixed. <laughs> Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program may contain mature subject matter. Discretion is advised. So, okay, I was going to start this show one way. It's going to be started a totally different way because the other way just didn't sound right. You know, when I, I every week I approach this show and I say to myself, I don't want to start off with a rant. And I've been trying to talk about something, and I've had to re-record this intro a couple times now because it... What started off as positive would end up in a rant, and I realized, okay, you know what? Scrap the topic. So I'm going to talk about something completely different. You're like, what was he originally going to talk about? Chicago Bears. That was what I was originally going to talk about. So you can see already why I'm scrapping this, because one, it's about a sports team that most people listening to this show don't care about, and number two, there's no way to talk about the Bears without ranting. And I don't want to do that. So I've decided to change the topic. What I'm going to start this show off talking about, Ice Nine Kills. And you're like, Ice Nine Kills? Do I know them? Um, for some of you, you probably do. For others of you who may not know, I'm going to inform you. Ice Nine Kills are, um, I think they're classified as metalcore. They're a metal band. Okay. Anyways, their last album, The Silver Scream, great album. Uh, what was it, 13 tracks, all about horror films. Well, let's say 12 were about horror films, and one was about 
a movie with horror elements because one of the songs on there was about Edward Scissorhands, which really isn't technically a horror movie. Um, but anyways, Ice Nine Kills, they came out with the Silver Scream. Silver Scream was, they had songs about Nightmare, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, Saw, It, American Werewolf in London. Like, you get the point, right? They, they sang about, they had songs that were about horror movies. And after that album, it was a fucking smash. An amazing album that people totally embraced. As a matter of fact, you saw so many comments online and, you know, whatnot. Fans have asked these guys, you know, make your own movie because you guys have a better grasp of horror movies than most directors these days. And another thing that came out a lot was people kept saying, are you guys going to do a sequel album? Are you going to do another album and, you know, give us 13 more songs or 14 more songs about horror movies? Because technically the Silver Scream did come out, but then they had a B-side for this um well, not technically a B. I guess it was a B side uh, called "Your Numbers Up," which was a song about the movie Scream. So I mean, that thirteen songs plus that one makes it fourteen. So again, now they come along with they've announced the new album's coming out. It's called "Welcome to Horrorwood: The Silver Scream Part 2. and it's fourteen more songs about horror movies. They've already released three as singles. Uh, the first one was "Hip to Be Scared." which was a song uh, in tribute of American Psycho, and it's fucking amazing. Such a great song. <laughs> I love singing along with it, even though like I do not have the voice for that kind of music, but whatever. I absolutely love it. Then they came out with the second single, Assault and Batteries, which was a song about child's play, which the video is a fucking scream. It's hilarious seeing Spencer, who's the lead singer of the band. Spencer is supposed to be the Chucky in the video. So he's walking around like basically on his knees with his knees looking like feet, you know, like the doll. And it's, it's fucking hilarious. And as par usual for the course, like most of their videos, um, Spencer's real life fiance, Nadia, she usually, she's in most of the videos. And most recently in most of the videos, she's, found a way to die and in assault and battery she basically gets her head chopped off by an axe it's on this train it's fucking hilarious it's just it's funny just recently they released their third single called rainy day which is a song in tribute of resident evil now the thing about this video is one it's awesome but two a lot of people have been saying when they've seen this video this is the best resident evil we've gotten period like, this is better than the movies. This is better than the animated movies. Um, it's right on par with the games. Uh, <laughs> and I watched it, and right away I'm thinking, you know, I think it would be a lost opportunity if Nadia and Spencer do not in one way or another become Leon and Claire, or go Claire and Leon, whatever, um, from the games. Like, we need to do this. <laughs> they... It, it's, it's so weird that I... Because... I'm kind of like that, you know, I, I'm very old school. I, I like my older bands. I like Nine Inch Nails. I like, you know, um, well, fuck, I go back as far as like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin and shit like that. But I like a lot of older music. I'm not really big on more modern music. But then along comes Ice Nine Kills. And I haven't felt this excited and this happy about a music group in a long time. It's It's really... It's kind of nice to look forward to new albums coming out from the band. I mean, like, so much as I already pre-ordered the album on vinyl, 
I have Silver Scream on vinyl, and now I'm going to have the second one. And it's like, it's just kind of cool because I'm not used to being really this excited about a release. Like, there's a lot of bands coming out these days that have releases coming out these days. You know, Aesthetic Perfection I love, Amaranth I love, um, Arch Enemy. Like, there's a lot of different bands that are out there right now that absolutely love their music. Don't get me wrong. But I haven't been excited about a band in a long time. And this is a band that all three videos now, when they've released them, it's like I can't watch the videos enough. I'm like, I just totally take it in and absolutely love it. So it's kind of cool because, like I said, like I was going to start this show off talking about, you know, how I had a smart moment about the Chicago Bears. And it just seemed like the whole time I was talking about it, the positivity of the intro would turn into a negative because I'd start ranting about how stupid the bears are sometimes and more time, <laughs> more than sometimes I should say. And I was like, I really don't want to start off on a bad note. It seems like I do that with almost every episode. So I switched it up and thought I would talk about ice nine kills, a band that I'm very excited about. And I cannot wait to hear the rest of this album, see the rest of the videos they have a lot of fun and on top of that it's got a horror twist to it which is perfect for this show so without further ado from the next level network of podcasts and studio zero it is my absolute pleasure i was gonna say unpleasure but i actually like welcoming people back to the show so i'm gonna say it's my pleasure to say welcome back to what lurks behind podcast zero and I am your host, Postmortem Ball. On top of Ice Nine Kills, I might also add that I recently acquired from uh, Mondo Releasings and Death Waltz Records. They released the 1992 soundtrack for Bram Stoker's Dracula on vinyl. And I was able to pick that up. I gotta say, oh my god, that it sounds so gorgeous. I mean, I, I've always loved this soundtrack. It, it, a little story that goes with this. <sighs> Dracula, when when it came out in 1992, I always liked, you know, soundtracks from different, like, movies and whatnot. Like, E.T., Jaws, and stuff like that. It's Star Wars, obviously. And who doesn't know the Star Wars score, right? I mean, love it or hate it, you know it. Um... But soundtrack scores were, like, the scores themselves were something that I never went out of my way to obtain. I knew them, heard them, some of them I had them, but it was something that was kind of just there. Then Dracula came out, and I have no clue what it is about this specific soundtrack, this, this specific score, but... I absolutely just was pulled right into it and it's become like one of my all-time favorites which is weird because like I like the movie a lot but I wouldn't say the movie is one of my all-time favorites but it's definitely up there like I do really enjoy the movie but the score was something else and I've, I've had it on cassette CD digital and then I found out they were releasing it for the first time on vinyl remastered and it sounds absolutely gorgeous and I'm really glad I got it. So, on top of the fact that I have Ice Nine Kills on the way, I also was able to pick up that Dracula score, and it it was something that I was just like, wow. Like, I listened to it, and it was like listening to it 
brand new all over again, which it really wasn't because I do know the music and the score and whatnot. And it also does include the song um, Love Song for a Vampire by Annie Lennox. That's on there as well. And the artwork is gorgeous. And it just, ah, I was very happy to get that. So, I mean, between that and Ice Nine Kills, you know, music's been treating me good lately. (laughs) But, um, anyways, so quickly before we get into this week's movie review, which I should say, episode 103, what did I decide to review this week? Jesus. I warned you guys last episode. I did announce it at the end, and I warned you it was coming. Um, and I'm making good on my word. Yeah, from 2002, um, we're going to talk about Scooby-Doo this week. <laughs> um, yeah, Scooby-Doo. James Gunn screenplay. I have stuff to talk about that. But first, before I get into that, okay, so I do want to talk about a couple movies. Uh, let's start off with, okay, so I'm going to talk about two films that actually are really good. Both movies were considered failures in the eyes of many genre fans and critics and whatnot, because these two films do not follow the Hollywood formula. So the movies I'm talking about is first off The Lodgers which I believe was from 2018 or 2019, and then The Sonata, which was a 2019 film as well. Actually, I think The Lodgers was 2017, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyways, I watched both these movies for the first time, and both are gothic horror films. Both, um, and, and I might say the themes in the films, both of them are, like, they, we focus on the offspring of parents who had questionable pasts. So uh, in both cases, we're talking about, uh, well, in The Lodgers, it's a daughter and a, uh, a daughter, a, a brother and sister, daughter and son or whatever. And in the second film, it's a daughter. Both are go- both movies are gorgeously shot. They're, they're so beautiful and atmospheric and whatnot. Um, they take place in uh, Victorian settings, very rich looking, very, very gothic. Like, I mean, it, they definitely are gothic films. Um, and they both take full advantage of telling their stories slowly, but accurately. And not like they feel no need to rush the details. Like they, they allow the stories to just unfold at a very slow pace. But because of this, they're both considered failed films. Like, I mean, I, I, I believe both of them had, like, ratings that were, like, under, like, you know, it was, like, 4 out of 10, 4.5 out of 10. And I'm like, I watch these movies, and I, especially The Lodgers, I was really impressed. Um, but they don't have jump scares. Both movies are... There, there's no blood. There, well, there's some blood, but there's it's not over the top. There's not a, a huge amount of gore. Um, no monsters. You know, there. Well, there's in the lodgers. There's kind of like they're like haunt. They're like like haunting creatures and whatnot. But I mean, it's not like there's not blood and foam and and all this like over the top special effects and whatnot needed. Um, but I will say this, like these movies are not for everyone. And the reason why I say that is because attention is needed. 
Uh, in order to watch them, you have to pay attention. And we live in a world where most people, when they're watching a movie, what are they doing? Staring at that little smart device. You know, that little thing that dictates how they should think. It's in their hands and they're they're scrolling through it and oh i gotta i gotta see my facebook feed and my instagram feed and make sure i like and subscribe and you know all that sort of shit and we're into this instant gratification thing where it's like we need something we need it now 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 we need it it must be absolute must have it right now and these movies on the other hand are the kind that are we're going to show you something and then we're going to let it linger for a while and we're going to make you wait for the payoff um, so it's a daunting task for those who are not equipped with attention skills. And I'm not trying to be insulting when I say that, but a lot of people do not have a long, um, attention span. They really don't. So for me, I, I walked away from these films enjoying both of them. I thought they were really good. Uh, I prefer the lodgers a bit more over the Sonata, but that's because of the performance of Charlotte Vega, who plays the main character of Rachel in uh, The Lodgers. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. Her performance is so perfect. Um, from the, And through the entirety of the film, I, I, like it's from beginning to end, she's perfect in this movie. So she was a lot of she was very enjoyable to watch. Both movies are atmospheric, like I said. Both are very haunting. They're eerily relaxing. I, you're kind of paying attention. You're on edge because you're wondering what's going on, but at the same time, you're relaxed. Like you just sit back and you just take it in, and it, it's really cool. I, I wish we had more movies like that to choose from. Um, the Sonata, by the way, is one of uh, Rucker Hauer's last films. That was kind of the draw that pulled me into that was the fact that I knew Rutger Hauer was in it. And I wanted to see, I'm not going to lie, he's not in it much. But he's there. He's definitely there. And his his character has importance to the story. So, I mean, even though he's not really in the movie a whole lot, it's important for his character to have been there. So, but yeah, of the two... I kind of give the hype to The Lodgers. Then there's a third film that quickly I just want to talk about. Uh, this one I caught on Shudder, actually, called Incident in a Ghost Land. And the pull-in for this one was the writer and director of it, who was also responsible for the amazing French horror extreme film Martyrs. Uh, I've mentioned Martyrs on this show a couple times. It's one that is <laughs> not for the weak of heart, but... Uh, Martyrs is, uh, it, it's an amazing fucking movie. So anyways, I see that Pascal Logier is behind this movie, Incident in a Ghostland. I'm like, I'm going to fucking watch this. I got to I gotta know. I got to see. And this time, first off, the movie's in English. It's not in French. And secondly, it's filmed in Canada. So I was like, all right, it's Canadian horror flick on top of that. Is it as brutal as Martyrs? No. Uh, it's still brutal. There's still some uh, visceral action that happens in this movie. There is some some blood and some unnerving moments, I'm not going to lie. But it's not to the level of murders. Uh, this one's a little bit lower in that level. But, I mean, I walked away from this movie, uh, and as a matter of fact, on my 
my personal social media feed, I believe the first four words I wrote after watching this were wow, 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 and wow. Because uh, what a gem this was. This movie's awesome. It's a home invasion movie. And if you thought The Strangers was creepy and eerie and, oh my god, it gave you the willies, this movie takes it up another fucking level. Like, I mean, it, to compare the two is a little unfair because The Strangers was done in a different sort of way. But in terms of the home invasion genre, like, this one... It, and it's this one is unforgiving. It's not going to be nice to you. It's it's going to sink in. It's going to stick. I loved every second of it. And it was 90 it's 91 minutes long and it did not feel it first off. Secondly, um Crystal Reed, uh in case you're wondering the name, uh she was in Gotham and she was also in Swamp Thing. Uh, I believe she was also is it Vampire Diaries, she was in her True Blood. She was in one of those. Anyways, she's sort of a TV star. Um, yeah, and she's kind of cute, too. So I'm, I'm going to throw that out there, obviously. She's kind of cute. But um, she gets top billing. And so that kind of pulled me in, too, because I was like, all right, I like her acting. And I'm like I said, yeah, she's cute. Um, <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm, you... You've got you've gone two for two already. I, I see Pascal's name. I see Crystal's name. I'm like, okay, I, I'm kind of in. The thing is, is that even though she gets top billing, I think it's just because she's the biggest name in the movie. But really, it's the acting of Amelia Jones and Taylor Hickson that whew, propels this motherfucker. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, though those two actresses bring this movie to a whole other plateau like it's just they're that good um i really don't want to spoil a whole lot all i will say is uh, rob archer is in this as well um he's been he's kind of like the big brooding guy in a lot of different he was in defiance i believe he was in uh what else was he in shit something else that i saw him in he's a big guy anyways anyways he's in this he plays like the the sort of overgrown sloth like i guess like ogre i believe the two the two younger girls they refer to uh the the two um villains of the movie that like basically do the home invasion thing they refer to them as one being a witch and one being an ogre rob rob archer's the ogre and at one point there is a a very very unnerving scene where i was, even i was kind of like ugh I feel dirty watching this, but um, this movie is bloody. It's unsettling. It's relentless. It is unforgiving. It's an eight out of ten too. I'm not gonna lie. It's not. Martyrs is almost a perfect movie for me. This is a little less than that, but still really fucking worth it. Um, I I definitely recommend it if you can handle some of that more extreme horror um like i said it's not as bad as murders and it's definitely not when i say extreme i'm not talking like a serbian film kind of fucking extreme like no 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 like this is this is watchable i mean you're not gonna sit here and be like oh my god my whole life is scarred now from watching this but it's definitely 
it's not your PG-13, I know what you did last summer kind of horror either. This is going to stick with you and you'll walk away from it thinking about it a bit. But definitely, definitely recommended. But hey, enough of that. Let's talk about movies that have Bart jokes in them. Yeah. I watched the bad movies so you don't have to. Um, would I say that this movie's bad? I don't know if I go that far. Um, hmm. Trailer time out. And then when we, will re- when we return, when we come back for our shared deadcast experience. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm glad I did this movie. It, it, it was... It was fun to rewatch. I'm not going to lie. But, yeah, you know what? Trailer time out. When we come back, rut row. We'll talk about Scooby-Doo. I can't do the rut row thing. I know some some people can do that. Some people can do Shaggy really well, too. I, I can't. I'm not going to lie. I can't. I, I just grew up with the cartoons, man. That's <laughs> When this came out, I remember seeing the trailer for the first time, too. And I was like, oh, what have you done? I'm still going to go see it. <laughs> I did. And I was like, I don't know why, but I did. I think this... No, wait. I lie. The first one I saw on home video, it was the second one I saw in the theaters. Now that I think about it. Because I was actually kind of surprised that I didn't hate the first one. <laughs> and the second one didn't look like it was going to be as bad. And plus the fact that... By that point, I had seen Matthew Lillard do Shaggy, and it was like, all right, I, I think I can handle the second one. And Well, anyway, trailer time out, and we'll come back, and we'll, you know, Scooby-Doo, where are you? We'll do all that. Back in a splat, kids. On a faraway island, ancient forces have been awakened and only one thing stands between them and the enslavement of all mankind (laughs) i'll have whatever he's having this place is like uber creepy scooby we're here to solve a mystery Rory. Warner Brothers Pictures presents <laughs> Fred. You had best get your smack on, smack off. You know what I'm saying, G? No. Daphne. Now who's the damsel in distress? Me? Straight up. Velma. The smart one. <laughs> Scooby Doo! Shaggy. What are you doing, man? Oh boy, like there is a ghost right behind me, isn't there? And <laughs> Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo, where are you? This summer. Oh, I got bad feeling about this. Those creatures are taking over the world. That is so mean. That was weird. (laughs) Did somebody spike your dog bone? Who's your best buddy? Reggie. That's right. And who's my best buddy in the whole wide world? Ruby Doo. Let's get jinky with it. 
Scooby-Doo. Oh my God. No one is stupid enough to believe that. Who's the ugly old broad? Rank you. Rank you. Rank you. Alrighty then. If after listening to that trailer, you're still around, you haven't hit stop, you haven't tapped out of the episode yet, you're like, I'm going to go through with this, I'm going to listen to what he has to say about this movie, I want to thank you for not disappearing, for, for not saying, yeah, fuck it, I'm done. No, um, appreciate that. Thank you. I, I appreciate the loyalty to the show. However, if you do want to tap out and you're like, you know what, I don't want to listen about no fucking Scooby-Doo movie. I'll understand. Uh, my feelings will not be hurt. Just make sure to like and subscribe. So, on to Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? Uh, okay, so Scooby-Doo was released in the summer of 2002 on June 14th. Directed by Raja Gosnell, who also directed the sequel. He did uh, Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. Uh, he also did the two Smurfs movies, the two live-action Smurf movies, which, yeah, okay, I get it. They're all right. They're not great. But Hank Azaria as Gargamel was the shit. I will say that. Pretty much the only reason why I even tuned into those movies, although growing up as a kid, yes, I was a huge fan of the Smurfs. As a matter of fact, my favorite Smurf episode is the one where they were the purple Smurfs, where they got bit by the bug and they walk around going, get on, get on. And it was basically like Night of the Living Dead, but it was, you know, zombie Smurfs. <laughs> Still to this day, I fucking love that episode. Um, but yeah, the, the live action movies, I'm not gonna lie, they weren't fucking great, uh, but they were they were okay, but Hank Azaria definitely fucking ruled as Gargamel. Um, Raja also was an editor on certain films like Teen Wolf 2, uh, Pretty Woman and the first two Home Alone movies so you can see where they got the idea to pick him for this movie because this was kind of like it was kind of like his it was the perfect setting for him you know um, Scooby-Doo obviously Scooby-Doo Scrappy Velma uh, Daphne uh, Brad all the, the whole fucking shebang Based on characters by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, who were also acting executive producers on this film. And if I remember reading correctly, this was the last Scooby-Doo project they were executive producers for. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe it was William Hanna passed away during the process of the filming of this movie. So... Um, this was the last hurrah for Hanna Barbera basically being involved with um, something that they created. Because what did they create? They created our Saturday morning cartoons. They created... You hear about like us Gen Xers or us kids from the 80s or whatever. We talk about Saturday morning cartoons. And people... I mean, if you grew up in the 80s or the 90s, you get Saturday morning cartoons. You grew up after that, you don't get the whole thing. You, you don't get why we're so nostalgic about it. But the thing was, was that, especially in the 80s, I know the 90s had it as well, but more so in the 80s, your Saturday mornings literally, it didn't matter what channel you put on. Like, if you put on channel 2, channel 4, channel 7, it didn't matter. You go to channel 20, channel 50, 
and yes, I'm talking about back in the days when you had TV with a dial on it, and we didn't have cable TV, we had bunny ear antennas and whatnot, but didn't matter where you went, you had cartoons, and you had cartoons like uh, the Flintstones, um, the Jetsons, Tom and Jerry, Yogi Bear, Pink Panther, Super Friends, Casper the Friendly Ghost, uh, Popeye, GoBots. Everyone's like, GoBots? Really? You brought up GoBots? Hey, they were behind that. They. Yes, I know Transformers was like the big thing. And Transformers was a Saturday morning cartoon as well. But Hanna-Barbera were behind GoBots, which was, I know, discount Transformers. But still, it was a thing for us. We watched it. Captain Caveman, that was another one. Uh, the Snorks, Pound Puppies, uh, Huckleberry Hound. There was a Godzilla TV series in 1978 to 79. Hanna-Barbera were behind that. Did you also know that Hanna-Barbera were behind the Banana Splits? The Banana Splits Adventure Hour. Yay! But everybody lately has been talking about the Banana Splits, the horror movie. Um, but Hanna-Barbera actually created the Banana Splits the children's show um so but that was the thing like Hanna-Barbera created our Saturday morning cartoons that's, that's what we knew especially in the 80s and then obviously into the 90s as well there was a there was a big Saturday morning cartoon movement then um more so along the lines of like Cartoon Network and stuff like that I mean you had your what was it like Danny Phantom and Ruby Gloom and stuff like that that was you know and that even carried into like early 2000s and whatnot but for for those of us like especially like us quote-unquote gen xers uh hanna-barbera made our saturday morning cartoons anything and everything we watched they had something to do with um the story and the screenplay for this movie was done by yes i mentioned james gunn and james gunn obviously slither Guardians of the Galaxy, most recently the new Suicide Squad movie that everyone keeps saying is the best DC movie ever. No, it's not. But it's not bad, but it's a James Gunn movie. And if you know James Gunn humor, um, yeah, okay. So the thing is, is that I say this, if, if you're going to rant and rave about how great Suicide Squad is, then why would Scooby-Doo get shit on? Because Scooby-Doo has a lot of that same kind of humor. Um, just... Obviously, James Gunn, the Suicide Squad movie is rated R, where this is rated PG. But was it originally? More on that later. Um, the story was also written by Craig Titley, who worked on the Percy Jackson films, and he worked on many episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for Marvel. Um, so, yeah. The producers for this movie, um, primarily Charles Robin. Uh, but also Richard Suckle. Um, so, Robin, Charles Robin produced uh, the Scooby-Doo sequel as well. Um, so Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. He, uh, he worked on that. He worked on 12 Monkeys. He worked on the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, many of the DCEU movies, which included Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Wonder Woman, both versions of Justice League, The Suicide Squad, whatnot. Um, Ro Charles Robin works on a lot of Warner Brothers projects. Richard Suckle, on the other hand, he produced some of the same stuff. Like, I believe he was involved with, like, Wonder Woman. Uh, but he was also involved with Wonder Woman 1984. Um, it was, uh, he, he only had 20 producer credits. He ha he's not, um, 
Like Charles Roven had like a lot. He was in the hundreds <laughs> where, you know, Suckle only had like 20 credits. Uh, but Richard uh, Suckle has been announced as being a producer for an upcoming um, movie called Robocop Returns. I don't have much details on that, so I don't know if that's a continuation of that Robocop movie we got a few years back or if this is something completely different, if this is a TV project or what. Really wasn't much information on it except that he would be one of the producers on it. Um, the cinematography for this movie is by David Egby, who he's got some... He's got quite a few credits, but some of the credits that he had really stood out. Uh, Specifically, the one that really caught my attention was he was... uh, Well, he's listed as director of photography on this, but he... Cinematography, whatever. Uh, But the one that caught my attention was he did the original Mad Max movie. And I was like, oh, hey, that's pretty cool. He also did movies like Warlock. Uh, He did Fortress. which That's uh, that's a nice little sci-fi movie. He did Dragonheart. Uh, Pitch Black and Eurotrip. The music in this movie was done by David Newman. David Newman really doesn't, he hadn't done a whole lot of horror movies. He did do the Critters uh, score though. I thought that was kind of cool. And My Demon Lover, which uh, some of you may remember that, some of you may not. Uh, but he also worked on uh, both uh, the, the first two Bill and Ted films uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. He worked on those. Uh, Disorganized Crime, which was a movie with Ed O'Neill. Uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, which was a movie with Christina Applegate. I brought up both of those because married with children. How could I not? He also did The Mighty Ducks. He did The Phantom, Coneheads, The Flintstones. Um, he, if I remember correctly, it was something like 114, I think, composing credits. So he's done a lot of work. But let's move on to our starring cast, our Scooby Gang. Um, I made this pretty easy. It's pretty much the Scooby Gang with a few extras, and that's about it. Uh, when the when they were casting for the movie, apparently for the characters of Fred and Daphne, so Raja Gosnell wanted to have a husband and wife take on these this role and whatnot, these roles. So that's how we ended up with what we ended up with. But it's kind of interesting because first off, I'm going to mention that Freddie Prince Jr. is Fred Jones. Now, where do we know Prince Jr. from? Obviously, I know what you did last summer. Star Wars Rebels are two of the ones that I would pay attention to that he's been in. The interesting thing is, is he didn't want to take the role. He didn't want to be Fred. Uh, but it's his... Uh, his beautiful little wife who convinced him to do it. And then his wife would be Sarah Michelle Geller, who plays Daphne Blake. Sarah Michelle Gellar, obviously, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2, Star Wars Rebels. Um, Star Wars Rebels, and I Know What You Did Last Summer, she worked with Freddie Prince Jr. Um, I, I believe in uh, when they did I Know What You Did Last Summer, I don't think they were married at that point. Uh, but um, for Star Wars Rebels, they were married. So aside from Scooby-Doo, they also did Star Wars Rebels as a married couple. The interesting thing about uh, Daphne's character is that actually there were two other actresses that were offered the role before Sarah Michelle Gellar, and that was Jennifer Love Hewitt and Jennifer Aniston. 
I'm kind of glad we got what we got because I don't think I would have. Well, not that I, not that I have anything against Jennifer Love Hewitt or Jennifer Aniston, but I just think Sarah Michelle Gellar probably did the role the best of those three. There's probably other actresses who could have done it better, but it is what it is. We'll move on to Matthew Lillard as Shaggy. Matthew Lillard was also in Scream and 13 Ghosts. As a matter of fact, 13 Ghosts is how he got this movie. Uh, Because they loved his performance so much in 13 Ghosts, he got asked to do this. Interestingly enough, before Matthew Lillard, two actors who were considered for the role of Shaggy, Jim Carrey and Mike Myers... I'm glad it didn't go to Jim Carrey. No offense. I do not mean that in a negative way. I just... Jim Carrey at that time was still playing Jim Carrey. He wasn't really stepping very far out of his boundaries, uh, with the exception of maybe Cable Guy. Um, A lot of... Jim Carrey, as the years went on, he started to show that he actually knew how to fucking act. (laughs) And pretty damn good, too. But... At that time period, I think he was still somewhat doing the Jim Carrey shtick, and I don't know how well that would have gone. Uh, Mike Myers, mm, he's Austin Powers. We'll leave him there. Uh, he's he's Wayne, you know, Wayne and Garth, whatever. Um, but I, I don't know if I if I could see him as Shaggy. The thing is, is we saw Matthew Lillard, and more on that in a bit. But I, you get where I'm going with that. Moving on to Velma Dinkley, played by Linda Cardellini. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say this right now. I think she basically might be the best Velma we'll ever get. Now, I don't want to say that for sure because I'm sure there's an actress who could come along and do it better, but she's pretty much dead on. Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, she's a part of as Hawkeye's wife. She was also in, <laughs> here I go again, trying to say this, The Curse of La Lorona, Lorona, La Lorona, I'll never get it right. I should just say La Lorona and leave it at that because I will never get that right. And even when I watch the movie and I listen to the trailers and everything, I can never say it. I don't, my mouth is dyslexic when it comes to it. Um, she was obviously in the Scooby-Doo sequel as well. And she was a uh, regular on ER for quite a few years. I, I, well, was it two seasons, I think? Something like that. She was on ER for quite a while. Interestingly enough, for Velma, there were other actresses who were considered for the role, being Alyssa Milano and Carla Gugino. That's the thing. See, I don't know. Carla Gugino, at that time, I think could have pulled off a decent Velma. I'm not so sure about Alyssa Milano. No offense. I just don't think she could have done it as well as Linda Cardellini. As for Carla Gugino, it's a possibility, but I'm not sure. The thing that I I, kind of wonder is I mentioned about all these other actors and actresses, and I sort of wonder why they didn't. And then I watched the movie, and I'm like, I kind of get it. Uh, But... Anyways, uh, Scooby-Doo was voiced by Neil Fanning. Um, and basically, Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo 2 were his big hurrah. Just uh, really weird um, because, like, you got someone like a Frank Welker who's done it many times since. Uh, why they didn't go with him originally, I don't know. But I'm not going to knock Neil Fanning. He, did a, he does a good job as Scooby-Doo in this. 
And on to our little bit of supporting cast in this. Uh, so we have Rowan Atkinson as Emil Mondavarius. Um, who's Rowan Atkinson? I don't know, Mr. Bean, maybe? Black Adder? I know he's done other shit, but let's face it, if you say Mr. Bean, everyone's like, I know who he is. <laughs> Everybody knows who Mr. Bean is. Um, Isla F- Fisher? Uh, is it Isla Fisher, Fisher or Ela Fisher? I'm not 100% positive. I don't know if the S is pronounced or not. Don't know, and I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, really smart because stupid guy pretending... He's smart, you know, whatever. Um, she plays Mary Jane, marijuana. Um, marijuana, did I say that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Scooby-Doo, a marijuana movie. Mm, a stoner movie, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, more on that in a bit. But anyway, she was also in movies like Wedding Crashers, uh, Rango, Rise of the Guardians, Visions, Keeping Up with the Joneses. Uh, when she... Auditioned for the role. She was actually considered for the role of Daphne originally. But her and Sarah Michelle Gellar basically did a swap. And the funny thing about that is, is that originally, like, okay, like, Isla is normally a redhead. She's playing a blonde in this movie. And Sarah Michelle Gellar, normally a blonde, playing the redhead. So it was kind of interesting how that, like, that worked out. Like They both had to basically dye their hair for this movie. Freddie Prince Jr., ask him how he felt about dyeing his hair. Anyways, uh, <laughs> finally I mentioned this because, well, there's two I have to mention. Uh, one being Miguel A. Nunez Jr. Uh, where do we know him from? Uh, well, I don't know. Friday the 13th, part five. A new beginning. Uh, Jumping Jack Flash. He was in that. He was in Street Fighter. Street Fighter with uh, Raul Julia and Jean-Claude Van Damme. He was in that. He was in Leprechaun 4. Oh, that's an Oscar winner. Uh, Nutty Professor 2. Um, Oh, fuck it. Miguel was in Return of the Living Dead. That's where I love him most from. Um, You know, Spider. He's he's fucking awesome. I love him in that movie. That is... Seriously, whenever you mention Miguel Nunez, I always... First thing I go to is Return of the Living Dead. I fucking love him in that movie. And then finally, Stephen Greaves as Ngu Tuana, tu, Tuanana, or something like that. Anyways, he's the voodoo guy in the movie. I'm not gonna, not the voodoo guy, but like the um, he's the guy who looks like Till Linderman of Ramstein, but with like the tattoos on his face and his head and stuff like that. But he reminds me of Till Linderman from Ramstein. Whenever I see him, anyways, he was in a movie called Inseminoid. It is what you think it is. Uh, he was also in A Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Beastmaster series, he was uh, King Zad from 1999 to 2002. That series ran, and he played King Zad. Uh, he was in Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Yeah, another Oscar winner. And, oh, fuck, I, I would... It would besmirch me to not mention this. He was in Highlander 2. Crickets. Anyways... The runtime for the movie is an hour and 26 minutes. Rated PG for some rude humor, some language, and some scary action. Mm-hmm. Okay. The budget was $84 million. The box office gross, $275.7 million. Zoinks, bitch. The movie made money. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it did well. It's kind of funny, though, because the critics did really, they really did not like this movie. But, um, anyway, on to the synopsis. 
What is this movie about? What is Scooby-Doo from 2002 about? This wonderful movie. Kazoinks! Two years after a clash of egos forced Mystery Inc. to close, Scooby-Doo and his clever crime-solving cohorts, Fred, Daphne, Shaggy, and Velma, are individually summoned to Spooky Island to investigate a series of paranormal incidents at the ultra-hip Spring Break Hotspot. Worried his theme park might truly be haunted, island owner Emil Mondebarius drafts the detectives to solve the mystery before his supernatural secret scares away the college crowds. Can the gang overcome personal differences and forget everything they think they know about fake ghouls and phony creatures to crack the case, save themselves, and possibly the world? Ruh-roh! That was actually written on the back of the VHS and the DVD that was released. Yes, this was released at a time when there was still VHS tapes being released. So, what do I call this next segment? Well, because I wanted to modernize it, I called it hashtag release the gun cut. Because, like, you know, it's it's a Warner Brothers thing, right? We always want the, the cut we didn't get. Release the Snyder cut. Release the I, the Ayer cut. I almost said Ayer, but whatever. <laughs> so this, I say release the gun cut. You want to know why I say that? Because the film was originally set to have a much darker tone. It was supposed to be poking fun at the original series. I don't know why you want to do that. Just make a movie that's, like, you know, in spirit of. But anyways... It was supposed to be darker, it was supposed to poke fun at it, it was supposed to have a PG-13 rating. That was where he was aiming, you know. When James Gunn was writing the script, when Raja Gosnell was directing, they they were aiming for PG-13. Shaggy was supposed to be a stoner. I kind of think that was already established. But anyways, he was set to be a stoner, and Velma and Daphne apparently were supposed to have like a a behind-the-scenes like relationship kind of thing. Okay, that's kind of weird. Supposed to be a lot of marijuana references. I think there still is. <laughs> I actually watch this movie. But okay, I guess there was supposed to be more. Um, when they uh, when interviewed Sarah Michelle Gellar, um, uh, apparently she said there was a lot of changes that came to the film that made it more film friendly. Uh, and then it was James Gunn that finally confirmed it and he said the original cut of the film actually from you know the mpaa had an r rating what (laughs) what is this we apparently had an r rating for a scooby-doo movie what the fuck um and uh, apparently supposedly and i I, it's kind of weird because i i kind of watched this movie and tried to figure out where but okay whatever so supposedly uh, the girls had a lot of cleavage in this movie. I don't know how that works for Velma being she wears mostly the turtleneck through most of the movie. But, okay. Uh, maybe they're talking about, um, you know, the character of Mary Jane, maybe. Uh, Daphne to a point. But I was like, alright. Anyways, they had to use CGI to cover up their cleavage. And... Uh, then on top of that, James Gunn also has said that he uh, wanted to have that Velma was gay. Um, 
eventually, and I guess they filmed a lot of scenes for this and whatnot, but eventually all those scenes and the hints and all that shit were edited out of the film. Although I swear there's at least two scenes where I'm kind of like, I think they left that in there for a reason. But yeah, and there was even supposed to be a scene and Linda Cardellini has confirmed it. Sarah Michelle Gellar has confirmed it. James Gunn has confirmed it. And apparently it was filmed and never released. Velma and Daphne share a kiss. And apparently, yeah, this was a thing. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it, it originally Scooby-Doo was rated R. What the serious fuck? Like, that sounds like a Kevin Smith movie. Um, oh, maybe I say that for a reason. Hold on. But um, I will say this, though, that Sarah Michelle Gellar was filming both Buffy and this at the same time, almost synonymously. So apparently they had to figure out a way that they were going to schedule this out. So at the time that she basically there was like within a four week period, she spent the first two weeks filming Buffy and then would break away from that. And she flew off to Australia and filmed Scooby-Doo in two weeks and then obviously returned back to the United States and finished up Buffy and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I guess she had a very hectic four-week schedule at one point. The worst part about this is this. Okay, so uh, it's it's featured on the DVD as well uh, and on the Blu-ray. Um, in one of the deleted scenes or alternate scenes or whatever, there was an alternate opening for this, and I feel it's a goddamn shame they didn't use it because it is gorgeous. And bas- basically what it is is the opening of the film was done in the animation style that was used for the original Scooby-Doo cartoons, and then it morphs into live action starting at the uh, the Wow-Oh toy factory there where you know there's the whole case of the Luna Ghost and whatnot. But anyways beautiful animation like it's done so well the only thing that actually brings it down and in a way kind of makes it okay that they didn't use it but i mean the opening theme is done by shaggy and i'm talking shaggy the artist you know bombastic that guy yeah um no uh don't do that why you i i know we want to modernize it for the kids i get it yes but fuck don't do that like, just, you know, use the original and then morph it into your modern-day live-action movie. But it's it's a great opening sequence that was... A, apparently, they cut it for time, which to me is bullshit, but whatever. This movie is an hour and 26 minutes long. The opening would have been, what, maybe an extra 20 seconds? Fuck off that you cut it for time bullshit. No, whatever. Um, it, it, it was... It's it's fucking great. I wish they would have used it. Um, and another thing, okay, we get Sugar Ray in this movie as like the band cameo kind of thing. Like, okay, Idle Hands did it good. When Idle Hands came out, we had The Offspring, and that was fucking awesome. This movie, Sugar Ray, no. But then they asked Weezer to do it, and Weezer declined. Um, I almost hate Weezer for that. <laughs> Because it's like, why couldn't you have done this? This movie would have been that much better having Weezer as opposed to Sugar Ray. But whatever. Okay, so I mentioned Kevin Smith because, okay, versions were glad that never happened. Um, you know, because, okay, so here's the thing. This movie. So this movie was uh, sort of like, a, as with most movies, 
that shouldn't be made. They're in development hell for a while. Well, this was one of them as well. Apparently, uh, where, did, where did I read it? Somewhere that Charles Rover was, he, it, like 1994, he started trying to figure out a way to like to adapt Scooby-Doo into um, live action. And, I mean, like I said, Jim Carrey was supposed to play Shaggy. Apparently, at one point, Sarah Gilbert was also supposed to be in it. She was supposed to play Velma. Um, but Kevin Smith was originally supposed to direct Scooby-Doo. No. Um, I like Kevin Smith. Don't get me wrong. I think he's great guy and all but i mean you could you imagine putting james gunn and kevin smith together in the same fucking movie and expecting it not to be a stoner movie um because really um i guess mike myers had actually accepted to do the role um and janine garofalo was then gonna play velma but then that didn't happen so then myers dropped out and there, it's like I said, like there was a whole bunch of like weird fucking shit that was going on with this movie. And eventually by 2000, they finally came to the agreement that Raja Gosnell was going to direct James Gunn would write and they started looking for their cast. Um, so yeah, that happened. Um, quick little, did you know trivia thing? So the idea about the, the, the Scooby-Doo, legacy right so scooby-doo was actually it's kind of funny because this is a live action adaptation of the cartoon the cartoon was an adaptation of a live action sitcom from the 60s um that was um based on characters from dobie gillis um which was apparently a show back in the 60s uh fred is based on the character of dobie uh shaggy was supposed to be based on the character of maynard uh, Velma is based on the character of Zelda and Daphne was based on the character of Thalia. And this was apparently a show or a sitcom or whatever that was out in the sixties. I'm not familiar with it, but I did think that was kind of cool to note because everybody points out how this is a live action adaptation of the cartoon. The cartoon itself was an adaptation of the live action property. So it's kind of cool. Um, in terms of this movie, though, and the cast, and, you know, how, how they feel about it. Did you know that most of the cast have very low opinions of this movie? Uh, so much as, like, even, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar, for example, when she's been asked, you know... It, apparently she was asked in an interview, there was a, a while back, um, when... Uh, you know, talking about, like, being a mother and whatnot, because her and Freddie Prince Jr. have two kids, and... You know, they were asked, she was asked in an interview once, you know, what movies of hers would she not allow her kids to watch? Would it either be I Know What You Did Last Summer or Cruel Intentions? And she answered Scooby-Doo. <laughs> she does not want her kids to see this movie. Um, Freddie Prinze Jr. hated the ascot. He hated wearing the the, the Fred gear. So, apparently Sarah Michelle Gellar couldn't stand the boots. Um, you know, they, they just, they, <laughs> they didn't like their costumes at all. Um, Linda Cardellini, it had come out like right beginning of the, like the filming, uh, process and whatnot had said she was a fan of the original cartoon. She absolutely, she grew up on Scooby-Doo. She loved Scooby-Doo. And when asked about when the movie was done and they asked her, what did you think of the movie? She's like, I didn't like it. And the reason she didn't like it is she felt it was too raunchy. It was too crass. Um, 
and she didn't feel that it lived up to the legacy of Scooby-Doo. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this movie is not that kid's cartoon. Um, even Matthew Lillard. Okay, so Matthew Lillard, to today, you ask him about you know what it's like to be shaggy and whatnot. I mean, he's voiced it now in animated cartoons and whatnot. He's embraced it. He he's he's kind of okay with the idea of being shaggy and whatnot, but he wasn't at first. He he even was not a fan of this movie. The only reason why he's become a bigger fan of it is because it's been so well embraced and people love it and whatnot. Um and because let's face it, he deserved a fucking Oscar for his shaggy and I call it impersonation. I mean, like he does it dead fucking on Be- between him and Linda Cardellini. Like they nailed their characters pretty much perfectly. Um, it's just unfortunate that the content surrounding those two characters. Well, here's the thing. Okay. So let's get to my thoughts on this film and whatnot, because the thing is, is that this movie has like, it's sort of like own identity crisis thing going on. Like, is it a kid's film or a stoner film? Was it meant for adults or meant for kids? Or is it kind of like Looney Tunes where it was kind of meant for both? The thing is, is that Looney Tunes didn't feel the need to have fart jokes in order to appeal to kids. And when it had the adult humor, it was done in a way that only adults would catch it. Kids, it would go right over their heads. Pepe Le Pew with the cat and, you know, some of that sort of stuff. Like, I mean, yeah, we here we are in 2021. People mention Pepe Le Pew and they automatically say, well, he was a rapist. Okay, well, you're getting a little extreme here because it wasn't meant to be on that level. Um, but it was obviously, it was like humor that was directed at adults that kids wouldn't catch on, but kids would also have their own jokes in the cartoons that would, you know, that they could laugh at. This, this doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to do. And probably because of the fact that when James Gunn wrote it, he went in with that, like, like, okay, here's my thing. Does he realize he doesn't work for trauma anymore? Like some of the humor seemed like it was just way too much for a kid's movie. Um, the other thing is, is like, okay, as much as the set, I love the set pieces in this film. I, I love the atmosphere. I love the look of it, the aesthetic and all that. But here's my thing is, that again, identity crisis. Is it Spirit Halloween or is it the newly revamped and boring hot topic that replaced the original cool hot topic? You know, like, are we trying to be too much Harley Quinn or are we trying to be an amazing Spirit Halloween display that everyone walks in and wants to take pictures and videos of? Like, it seems like, again, like I said, like it doesn't know what it's doing. Um I'll be fair. I mean, if this is on someone's front yard Halloween exhibition, you know, for kids to enjoy as they're going trick or treating. Yeah, it's a fucking it's going to rock. But then you mix in the fart jokes and the burp jokes and you've got Scrappy Doo urinating on Daphne in a flashback scene. Which is interesting because there were other flashback scenes that were cut from the movie, but you didn't cut that one like you could have. And it made this movie seem a little bit more classier. Uh, without that scene, that's the thing that it, it doesn't know what it's doing with this movie. Like 
I, and I mean, let's face it. Like I said, like earlier, you know, like us Gen Xers, we grew up with this on Saturday morning cartoons. This is not what we grew up with. You know, I, I didn't watch Scooby-Doo, where are you and see Scrappy-Doo urinating on somebody like that didn't happen. So if you mean this to be a kid's movie, why are you putting in humor that wouldn't fit within the tone of being that, that Saturday morning cartoon? Um, like I said, I, it almost makes me wonder if James Gunn didn't really know where he was at at that point in his career. Is he still got the gutter trash mind of trauma or is he accelerating onto something as amazing as Guardians of the Galaxy? I don't fucking know. To say, you know, is this a horrible movie or, you know, is it is it a movie that should have some form of respect to it? I mean, that's debatable. Uh to be fair, the debate seems like it's between critics and fans. And this movie does have fans. Uh, I'll say it that way. I'll break it down like this. Like, okay, so here's the thing. The things that I love about this movie, I love Matthew Lillard. I love the Halloween-esque sets, especially the whole opening with the case of the Luna Ghost. That's fucking awesome. I love that. I love the, the, the toy factory. I love the ghost. I love everything that's going on in that. That feels very Scooby-Doo to me. Um... I love Linda Cardellini as Velma. I think she does a very good job with the role. Um, she feels like Velma. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just as Matthew Lillard feels like Shaggy. And again, I will highlight Matthew Lillard. When people say that he deserved an award for that performance, I absolutely agree with that. Um, the things that I don't love about this movie, though, seem to outweigh the things that I love about it. For example, Fred, both the character and the acting choices of Freddie Prince Jr., I can't deal with I I there's the one scene where it's supposed I realize he's supposed to be possessed by one of the like the 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 voodoo monsters or whatever but like when he's all talking about like yo bro and stuff like that but then he does that like also when he's Fred and it's like that's not how Fred would talk and the bit that he's like so like in love with himself and everything like that that's not Fred that's not the Fred that I grew up with like this is something completely different I I didn't care I really didn't care for Freddie Prince Jr. in this film, and that's not to knock him as an actor because I think he's a great actor, but I didn't like him in this. Uh, the music that's used in this movie, aside from like David Newman's score, I love. I think that is it's a solid score. I think it's a standout score. Some people I've I've read they've said it was sort of by the numbers. Maybe it is. Whatever. A movie score is a movie score, but I kind of liked it. I I like some of the 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 highlights from it. What I didn't care for, I don't give a shit about Sugar Ray. I don't understand why. Like, was seriously was that the best artist you could get for this movie? Uh, that's saying something. You know what I mean? Uh, the rap tracks that are used. Outcast aside, I like I, I like the Outcast song, but the rest of it I didn't care for. Um, the deleted scene of the opening should have been left in. I didn't like that it got taken out. I don't care for the music that was used. The shaggy recreation of the Scooby-Doo theme is shit. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't like it. It's garbage. So I'm glad that wasn't used. But at the same time, that animation is fucking perfect. I wish they would have kept that. Um, Scrappy-Doo. I didn't like him when I was a kid growing up. I don't like the character. I, don't, I wish that he'd never been put in this movie. On top of that, making him a villain... And that he's behind the whole fucking thing. Spoilers, by the way. But anyways, um, 
the fact that Scrappy-Doo is your villain was even a dumber idea than just putting him in the movie. I mean, so, I don't know. That I kind of don't like. Uh, the idea that we, Daphne, having Daphne be the damsel in distress, okay, whatever. Uh, it. I don't think it happened as much as they seem to think it did in the cartoons. Uh, as a matter of fact, at times, Velma was the one that was the damsel in distress. So I, to be fair, in the, the original cartoon, the original, what was it, 25 episodes or whatever, you know, way back in the 60s, they kind of all took turns <laughs> being the damsel in distress, distress, and that includes Shaggy and Fred as well. So, I mean, it, I, it, why they had to specifically make it that that was Daphne's role, and then we have to buffy her up. In other words do this whole like martial arts thing where like she like goes out and kicks ass and everything. It's like, that's not Daphne. However, I will say this. I did like the nice little nod to the Shaw brothers. Um, their martial arts films back in the sixties and seventies, or as like younger fans would recall, obviously the kill bill training scene, uh, when Beatrix is being trained by Pi May. But, um, I did like that, like old school, like, um, of course, that's a deleted scene, so I should keep that in mind that some of you may not know what I'm talking about. There's a deleted scene where she's getting her martial arts training. It's a flashback scene. That was actually really cool. It should have been left in the fucking movie. It would have been kind of cool. Um, but, you know, I, it, it is what it is. Is this movie going to pave the way for a new movement of films? No. Uh, is it going to shock the world into such an awe that it'll be studied and broken down for the next hundred years? Not really. Um, do you like ice nine kills? Not really. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the thing is, is like here. Okay. So here's my thing. And this is my final thought on the movie. You don't go into this movie, let alone any James Gunn movie for that fact. But anyways, you don't go into this movie expecting to have your mind blown. Okay. Um, there's definitely gas being blown in this fucking movie. Uh, you gotta love that flatulent humor, but mines, not so much. Uh, I might add, okay, so awards? Is it going to win awards? Well, here's the funny thing about that. Uh, it almost won a Razzie uh, for, for worst actor in a movie. However, you're going to love this. Hayden Christensen won that award for being Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> really? Like Attack of the Clones actually outbeat this one for worst actor. And I seriously thought Freddie Prince Jr. was garbage in this. And that's not his fault. It's the shit he was given to deal with. Um, so so close, Freddie. You, you almost had it. But I mean, no, seriously. Anakin Skywalker attacking the clones. Yes, absolutely worthy of that Razzie. But I mean, like. The thing is, is that when it comes to this movie, I am of two minds of the movie. Like, on one part of me, I'm on par with the critics. You know, Ebert gave it one out of four stars, and Chris Hewitt of Empire gave it two out of five stars. Yeah, it's safe to say this movie isn't good, but here's the thing I want to really highlight on. It's stupid fun, okay? Especially right now, in our current world, in a world that we live in like the one that is today, you know, the one where everything is, oh my God, you're going to die. We're all sick. We're going to die. We're going to go into war. We're going to die. Everything is right versus left. You're going to die. If you sneeze, you're going to die. If you cough, oh my God, you're dying. You're wrong and I'm right. 
it's all about politics. It's all about politics or life, man. If you're not talking about politics, if you're not voting, if you're not out there doing your part, blah, 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 blah. Got to throw this in your face. Work, 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 work. You got to die, 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 die. That's all that gets pumped into people's heads nonstop from the fucking media and the world that we live in. And then a movie like Scooby-Doo. Yes, I know this came out in 2002, but you watch it today. You know what? It's actually a relief. It's kind of nice to watch a fucking stupid movie. That's ridiculous. That Matthew Lillard is fucking outshining everybody with his amazing performance of Shaggy. It's not. A, it, this is a movie where you sit there and you go, ah, I can count all the drug references in this movie that didn't get cut out of it. Yeah, it's a stupid fucking corny ass movie. But who cares? Let it be. As the Beatles say, let it be. But no, it, it doesn't have to be some holy shit, I'm a changed person kind of movie. Like, And I think that's the thing. I think that's why sometimes when I when I do these movies and I review these movies and I look at them and I, I'm like, okay, I understand the whole eye-rolling embarrassment that the movie is. But at the same time, it's a nice break. This is It actually does what a movie should do entertain you with some stupidity but that you can forget about all the crap going on in the world at that time um when i think about the mo- the time this movie came out in 2002 june of 2002 this was what not even a year after 9-11 okay we just recently had the 20 year anniversary of 9-11 which you know to some might it should actually you know open a few eyes okay like whether or not and i'm not talking about like what theories you have behind why or how it happened i'm not talking about that what i'm saying is is that that was 20 years ago and it for some of us that it doesn't feel like it was 20 years i know for myself it doesn't it didn't feel like 20 years all of a sudden i'm like wow it was 20 years ago 9 11 happened now this movie came out Roughly, let's see, that was September of 2001. This came out in June, June 2002, so not even nine months later. You know, think about that. Think about the world at that time. You know, you had war going on. You had uh, the media was telling us how horrible the Middle East was. Oh, they're bad people over there. They're all terrorists. They're all trying to kill you. You're going to die, die, die. And then Scooby-Doo comes along. This is actually one of those good movies that... It's so stupid. It's so corny. It's infectious at the same time, though, because it's just ridiculous. If you're looking at it on a critical level, maybe out of 10, you give it a four. But on a crazy just, hey, it's a fucking just fun, stupid little movie. It's like actually like a seven out of 10. It it, it does what it's supposed to. Even watching it today, because I had, you know, I always rewatch these movies before I you know, review them and whatnot. And I'm watching it this morning going, wow, this movie's kind of crazy. Um, but for an hour and 26 minutes, I didn't think about anything else, but that fucking movie that was on my TV. So, and let's do this. Okay. So we'll combine the two scores. You got four and seven, we'll combine the two and divide them by two. Uh, the movie's a five and a half out of 10, five, five, five 5.5 Scooby snacks out of 10. Well, I'll throw the Scooby snacks in there for fun. And the funny thing is, is IMDb has it at a 5.2. So looking at my podcast rating of 5.5 and looking at, you know, what IMDb, I know IMDb is based on fans and it's not a reliable website. Okay, well, whatever. But I'm just saying in terms of scale and aspect, we're both on the same page. 
So, and that's, that's what this movie should be. That's what I need it to be. You know, <laughs> give me the gun cut. No, but seriously, like it doesn't have to be Shawshank Redemption. It doesn't have to be, you know, fuck the shining. It doesn't have to be a Kubrick film with all these nuanced angles and shit. Like, no, fuck man, just be a dumb movie and it's all right. It's now it's not even an hour and a half long. It's an hour and 26 minutes. You know. Some people would say give me my hour and 26 minutes back. Okay. Well, whatever. Here's your refund. Move along now. You know, make sure to like and subscribe. And on that note, I'm going to say thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking this out by the way cuz there's like I said, talking about Scooby-Doo and it's like, eh, here's a movie that you wouldn't expect me to talk about. And I've talked quite long about it too, I might add. But you know what? It Honestly, it was kind of nice to just talk, to watch a movie and just talk about something ridiculous. I mean, I didn't even get into the fact that like, you know, like, like <laughs> Scooby-Doo and Shaggy, like they're, they're the, the on-screen um, like chemistry you got you got bigger. You got Matthew Lillard on one hand and CGI on the other. They actually make it quite believable. Like he did a good job with it. The direction was there. Um, there was good directing there. I did mention about the score as well by David Newman. It's a solid score. It's not bad. Um, this movie is not. There, yes, there's things wrong with it. I, I made my list of complaints. You know, like, but it's not. Let me put it this way. I own it on VHS and DVD. I haven't gotten Blu-ray. I don't know if I ever will. But, <laughs> and I, I mean, for those of you who might not own it and you want to watch it and just see it for yourself or you want to revisit it, maybe you've seen it before or whatever, it's on Netflix right now. Go watch it. They're both on there, part one and two. I like two as well. You know, it, it's... I like these movies. Um, should I? I don't know. But I do. And so that's that. 5.5 out of 10. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to go through the usual where to find the show. I'm going to announce next week's episode or next episode, I should say, provided. I I have plans to get it out for next week. Let's put it that way. But um, anyways, uh, where to find the show? Well, obviously, most streaming apps do carry it now. We're talking Apple, Spotify, Google, FM Player. Um, you can go on Podlink on the internet and search up What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. It'll actually show you a guide to all the different streaming apps that carry it now. Uh, there's some, I think, that are missing as well, actually. But um, it's on Podbean. Podbean has it. Um, it's all over the place. I've noticed the show is like everywhere now, and and the stream numbers are going up. So I'm I'm happy with that. I, and that's the thing too. I want to say that if you are new to listening to the show, thank you for you know jumping on board. Um, it's kind of cool because the numbers are consistently staying higher now. So. I'm thinking that I have some more new listeners and that means a lot. So thank you for that. Uh, Social media, you can find What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero on Facebook and Instagram. It is also on Twitter. I don't use Twitter a whole lot, but it is there if you're looking. Um, 
But I do want to announce the next episode. Next episode is me starting the Halloween celebrations a little early. Um, really in the Halloween mood this year. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, because, honestly, I celebrate it pretty much every day of my life. But, this year, for some reason, I'm really excited about October 31st. I Maybe just because I've been so stressed out. I shouldn't say stressed out. That's the wrong... I've been disappointed with everything this year. Everything's been very disappointing and very menial and very... It feels heavy this year. It's really bothersome. So, knowing that Halloween is coming, I guess I've kind of really embraced it. And it's like, yay! Awesome. So, I'm starting with Halloween episode, the next episode. Uh, from the writers of A Quiet Place. And producer Eli Roth. This movie is on Shudder. It's actually where I saw it for the first time. Um, I love this movie. I think it's a great movie to talk about. Uh, and it's... It's going to tie into other movies that I'll be talking about as well. So... From 2019, the movie Haunt. will be the next episode. Episode 104 will be Haunt. Which, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it right now. I'll say that. That's my Lurker's recommendation for this week. Watch Haunt. If you haven't seen it yet, see it. Because when I talk about it next episode, I will spoil a lot of shit. Because uh, it's a, it's a talk-worthy movie. So, that is that. And, yeah, fuck it. I've talked enough. Let Al do what he's going to do. And then, I'll, you know, Bill, I love that Bill always comes to my defense and basically tells Al, you know, to lick his plate. I think that's awesome. But anyways, Al, go ahead. Say it. I know you want to. You need to shut the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. They sure work hard, don't they, buddy? Yeah? I hate to see them work so hard. Yeah, me too. Um, let's go around back where we can't see them. Gee, we ought to do something, Fred. Okay. How's about taking a nap? I, I got a better idea. Let's take a Winston break. That's it. Winston is the one filter cigarette that delivers flavor 20 times a pack. Winston's got that filter blend. Yeah, Fred. Filter blend makes the big taste difference, and only Winston has it up front where it counts. Here, ahead of the pure white filters, Winston packs rich tobaccos specially selected and specially processed for good flavor in filter smoking. Yeah, Barney, Winston tastes good, like a cigarette chug. The Flintstone has been brought to you by Winston. America's best-selling, best-tasting filter cigarette. It still tastes good like a cigarette should.